Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Pirelli Scorpion Weather Active. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast, brought to you live. Not really live, because it's recorded on the Colin Coward Podcast Network. We're almost a football. You know, we got, in probably under two weeks, every training camp in America, NFL, college, we're still probably three or four weeks away, will be kicked off. Uh, guys will be in pads, not very far away. Football is basically here. It's not very far away. Thank God there's nothing really going on. Today I got a big guest, Phil Savage, former NFL GM. He used to run the Senior Bowl for the last six years. He replaced Kenny the Snake Stabler in the booth calling Alabama football. He was he witnessed five championships. He also witnessed the year that they lost to Clemson a couple years back. So he, he's kind of seen it all. Worked for Belichick, worked for Ozzie Newsom, was a GM in the NFL. He's now a part of the Alliance of American Football. It's this. It's basically like the G League uh, for the NBA is what they're trying to make it with the NFL. It's not a competition. They're not trying to take out the NFL. They're trying to be a developmental league. He is now a GM in that league. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. And then at the end, I'll get into the Middlecoff mailbag as I always do. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I, I've been answering a lot of questions on Instagram just kind of messing around football-wise. Anything you got, slide into my DMs on Instagram. It's wide open. At John Middlecoff, same as my Twitter handle. And uh, I'll reply either through Insta Story or just an Instagram post. So doing a lot of different digital stuff. You know, slow times in the summer. Playing around. I'm easy to get at. You know, you can Instagram me. You can tweet me. If you listen to this podcast, you can always leave a review in iTunes. Just go to iTunes, 
subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question. Like I said, at the after the Savage interview, I will get to the Middlecoff mailbag, as always. But let's get to my main man. A, a GM for the Alliance of American Football League, the AAF, in Phoenix. Is that correct? That's correct, John. Yeah, it's been a, a summer of transition uh, down here in lower Alabama. Uh, for me, after six years at the Reese's Senior Bowl, I had an opportunity uh, to join the Alliance uh, with the Phoenix franchise. And, you know, Bill Polian is one of the co-founders of the league, and he's a Hall of Fame general manager himself. And when he reached out to me, you know, that makes you sit up straight in your chair, so to speak. And I just feel like that this league has a real opportunity to fulfill a role in addition to the NFL as an augmentation to the NFL in terms of trying to develop players. And, you know, going back to our days in Philly together, uh, I've, I've always enjoyed trying to help people with their careers, whether it was players on the field or scouts or trainers or, you know, media people off the field and trying to advance their own uh, lives. And so this league is, is going to give, give me and, and others a real opportunity to do just that. I think you said it perfectly, Phil, in augmentation. This league is not trying to necessarily take over the NFL. I, before I talked to you, I just started reading up on the league. I, I watched a video of Dick Ebersol's kid is kind of in charge of the league, right? So he is a high-powered guy in Hollywood, a couple years older than me, a young up-and-comer. It feels like the backing and vision of this league, like you said, Bill Polian, football-wise, Ebersol TV media-wise. I mean, it's, it's not your typical just – swinging for the fences here. I mean, this this league has some substance to it. Yeah, I think it's going to work for three reasons, John. Number one, the people at the top. You mentioned Charlie Ebersol. He, he's sort of the brains behind the operation, and he and Bill Polian are, are co-founders of the league. Uh, Bill brings, obviously, years and years of experience in the football uh, part of the game. Uh, Charlie... Uh, comes from the TV side, the media side, the tech side of things. And so it's really, uh, on the surface, it's an, it's an odd mix, but in reality, it's an ingenious mix of, of people and personalities and abilities. And then you, you include J.K. McKay, uh, who's uh, part of that triumvirate, I guess, of people at the top of the, of the league and how things are going to be managed. And, and I think they're off to a great start in that way. Secondly, the timeline, the games are going to be played from the week after the Super Bowl, so starting February 9th of 2019 for 10 weeks through the middle of April. Then there'll be a a couple of playoff games and a championship that will be played the Sunday after the NFL draft. So that window will allow players to come in, practice, hone their craft, develop their skills further, get more game experience, and then they can go back, re-sign with an NFL team and be available for the OTAs and the mini camps uh, and, and not miss anything. And then the third piece of the puzzle in my mind is that when you look at the landscape of football right now from high school to college, even to the, in, to the NFL with the current CBA, there just isn't a lot of development that goes no. on. High schools are limited in practicing. Colleges are limited in spring ball and, and training camp. The pros, same thing. I mean, 
you can't even work with an individual defensive back or wide receiver or offensive lineman in February, March, or basically half of April. If you're an NFL club, this league is going to uh, allow that to happen, and it's going to give a number of players a real opportunity to mature more physically, mentally, emotionally before they try to go take a second or third bite at the apple called the NFL. Well, Phil, hearing you talk, if you were a practice squad level player, like I'm watching right now the Warriors Summer League team play and all these teams, you know, in the NBA, a lot of guys, you know, third, fourth year guys that have been bouncing around the NBA are playing in the Summer League. Why? Because every GM is watching live reps against young NBA talent. Same deal here. If you were a practice squad guy, you know, once you get an OTAs, you don't really get any reps, right? You'd be better off in this league you're talking about. You know, why wouldn't you just go play? You know, you, you get in for all the GMs and all the pro scouting departments and 32 teams are going to be evaluating this league. Is now, that is that who you want, those type guys? Yeah, so, so right now there are 90 players on every NFL roster. So 32 teams, 90 players. When September 1st rolls around and the NFL cuts down to the 53-man active roster plus 10 on the practice squad plus a handful of IR, injured reserve guys, you're talking about 65 to 70 players that will be on the payroll in the NFL. That leaves 20 to 25 players, so that 66 to 90th man, I, I would venture to guess that 80% of the Alliance League participants will be in, in that group of players. So guys that are currently on NFL teams right now are going to end up in the alliance in terms of the back part of that roster. Uh, I think that one of the question marks for the agent community will be that kid that's on the practice squad or it has been released and maybe was on a team for an NFL team for part of the season. Now it's January and an NFL club says, hey, we want to sign you to a futures deal. Well, as we both know, you don't get paid on a futures deal until you make the team in September. Yeah. Zero guaranteed alliance, money, typically. The choice right? is going to be, yeah, that's exactly right. And so with the alliance, the agent, and that, that player that fits into this category is going to say, hey, I can go play and actually get on the field and make – probably in the range of $70,000. I mean, that's kind of what's been floated out there as a potential uh, minimum salary. It's going to be somewhere between 60 and 80. I, I feel certain about that. Is there, is there a and high, so is there a high end? That. Is there a high end? If you can get a guy, let's say a famous a Johnny Menzel or something, you know, that's trying to, I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. I, I think that those kinds of higher profile players, uh, you know, would be handled through the league. They won't be handled by us at the club level, gotcha. so to speak. So they could conceivably be on a different type deal. But for the rank-and-file player in the Alliance League, it's going to be a minimum salary somewhere in that range with some potential upside, either team wins or individual stats or what have you. But let's just, let's just call it eighty grand. So a guy goes and makes $80,000 and gets a chance to play 10 games, put himself back on the field, uh, videoed, all those tapes are going to be watched by the NFL. Now you may actually increase your value to the NFL, and perhaps you could get a signing bonus or another crack at it, and now you go there in May, you don't miss any of the OTAs or the minicamps, 
you know, that was one of the issues with NFL Europe that, that expired 10 years ago. When we would allocate players to that league, the guys would come back at the end of June or early July and they'd be worn out. A, yeah. And then B, they would have missed all of our installation with our own team. So I think that the timeline, the people, the timeline, and then the development of prospects will be the three main reasons this thing goes. And, you know, just to, to dovetail on, on the conversation of Bill Polian from the football side and then Charlie Ebersol was sort of this modern era, this new generation of people, they, they showed us some technology on that's going to be rolled out with this league that's going to be just, you know, so forward-thinking and groundbreaking for the fan in terms of fantasy football, in terms of now all the legalized gaming that can take place, I'm telling you the alliance is going to be way out ahead of the curve in a number of different areas, and I think technology is going to be one of them. I'm super excited to see it because that's not my world, but it was really fascinating to sit in those meetings a few weeks ago. The the biggest hurdle, if I'm just going to play you know devil's advocate outsider here, is if I'm just a fan and I want to, like, the hardest thing about watching football is watching bad football, right? You know, quarterbacks, and you practice so much more than you play. How how do you guys coach up the players enough to make the games, and especially the quarterback play, you know, where the quarterback can move the offense and, and the game can be, you know, I guess easy on the eyes, just from an offensive standpoint? Sure. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, the eight coaches that have been hired, six of them have offensive backgrounds and specifically quarterback backgrounds. Steve Spurrier, Brad Childress, uh, Mike Riley, Rick Neuheisel, who will be our coach in, in Phoenix and was really the main reason I wanted to go to that particular club because Rick and I worked together at UCLA you know, almost 30 years ago, and we've maintained a friendship through the years. I, I just think he's the best quarterback coach that I've been around this side of Homer Smith, but Mike Marsh is in San Diego. And so all of those guys with that pedigree of quarterback coaching, I think that shows you the focus of where this league will be. It's going to be on quarterback and offensive line play. I would venture to say that defensive back play will be important as well. Yeah. But those are three position groups that I think the training and the jump from college to the NFL is just almost insurmountable for some of these kids now because of the, the lack of knowledge and the lack of, 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 of depth in their own resume. So this is going to give them a chance to fill in some of the gaps. How do I watch the games? Have you guys determined that where you guys are going to be, you know, digitally yeah. or. Yeah, they have a, uh, the Alliance has a, a contract with CBS sports. And so for the first time ever, CBS, and a national network will be allowed to cross-promote a, a different football league during the NFL contest. So, in other words, the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl and Super Bowl Sunday since CBS has the game, you're going to see and hear a lot about the alliance. CBS will do the opening game, of which we don't know the matchup yet, and then the other games for the remaining part of the season will be on the CBS Sports Network and available on streaming and apps and all that kind of stuff. And then the championship game will return back to CBS at the end of the year. So uh, one of the things that they're going to do, John, that's sort of interesting is, is they're going to really uh, rate everyone's progress during training camp. And, you know, obviously they're going to try to create as, as level of a playing field as possible. 
And so as we've gotten into the allocation of players, there's going to be some geography involved in terms of colleges that are, you know, in the surrounding areas of the eight clubs. And then there'll also be a level of allocation that goes through, you know, the NFL and CFL teams. And so that's just a way for us to get organized and get this thing off the ground this year where, you know, the teams will be relatively equal is, is the hope. Gotcha. Well, it sounds, I'm actually pretty interested. You're, you sold me on this league, Phil. I, I want to talk a couple things before we get out of here. Uh, the senior bowl, just, I just jotted down some quarterbacks while you were at the Senior Bowl. The, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr in the last two years have signed two contracts at a, you know almost $300 million. Uh, Carson Wentz looks like he's got a chance to be the best of the group. This year was pretty fascinating. I mean, Josh Allen has more talent probably than anyone. If he can figure out just how to complete some balls, he's going to be a pretty good player. And then Baker Mayfield ended up going number one in the draft. That's five quarterbacks that you've had in the last five years, right? Right, right there, you've seen it all, Phil. Yeah, we uh, we were fortunate in in terms of being able to sell the idea to these college quarterbacks that the Senior Bowl would be an excellent bridge to their professional career, and just the exposure of, of going under center, calling plays in a huddle. Uh, working with the pro staff that would and John you know it's a small fraternity and so if you do a good job in Mobile it's going to spread like wildfire across the league and we saw that happen with Dak Prescott he's another one yeah not on your not on your list there but uh, we were fortunate that in that regard uh, you know we had some exceptional players come through uh, but, man, even some of the QBs that were here before my time, the Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilsons, those guys have cashed in yeah. uh, in a big way as well. But, uh, you know, the the whole all-star uh, venue and then the combine. And, you know, our, our goal when I got here was to try to turn the Senior Bowl into the first leg of the Triple Crown. Let's Let's make the Senior Bowl the Kentucky Derby of NFL scouting. And I think we really were able to achieve that, especially when you saw the results this year with, with Baker going number one overall, Josh Allen going seventh. That's the first time since 1995 that the, that the senior bowl had had two quarterbacks taken in the top 10. And so that was significant for us. And as I was sitting there at the draft, uh, doing some work for Sirius XM, you know, it really dawned on me. I'm like, wow, I'm sitting here at the top of AT&T Stadium. We just had two quarterbacks go in the top ten. We had 80, 84, 85 players get drafted. I'm just not sure we can do much better than this. No, you can't. And obviously with this alliance thing hanging out there, uh, I felt like it would be a good time to, to try to jump over and, and do something else. But uh, I'm very fortunate, you know, being a, a former NFL GM, you don't get a lot of uh, second chances or, or fresh opportunities. And, and, man, I've been able to do that in the last nine years at, at the Senior Bowl in, in Alabama, and, and now it's led to this AAF opportunity with some incredible, incredibly smart people that I think will really provide the right guidance to make a go of it. Well, it's kind of crazy looking back that this year going into the Senior Bowl, it was pretty damn obvious. Maybe not that Baker would go number one or Josh would go in the top ten, but those guys were going in the first round. Where just four years removed, Carr and Jimmy – I mean, they went to the Senior Bowl. They had good Senior Bowls, right? And and no one really viewed them maybe as fringe first round prospects. I mean, did how did people miss on that, Phil? How did those two guys? Was it the spread offense? Was it just did has quarterback the emphasis on the position changed that much in 
you know, in five years? You know, I, I think part of it with Derek was the fact that, remember, he had played in a pro-style offense in high school in the first couple of years at Fresno, and then they switched to the spread. And remember his last game in, in bowl season against USC did not go well. No. And I think that left a bad face in people's mouth. But I will tell you, down here in Mobile during that week, he did something I've never seen another quarterback do before or since. He gathered his receivers up, and despite all the scouts and agents and media wanting to interview the players on the field after practice, he grabbed up two or three of them, and they went and worked extra for five or 10 or 15 minutes. And I thought that was impressive. It showed the work ethic that he's got. It showed the leadership that he has, the connectivity with his teammates. And so, you know, he probably, as as you look back on it, should have gone higher. But I do think, you know, for some, we all have, we're all human. And, yeah. and I think when you end your career on a bad note, like you did against USC, that happened. Now with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think honestly, it was just, it was level of competition. Remember he was playing FCS level football and he had some real growing pains his first two years at Eastern Illinois. You know, his, his touchdown interception ratio wasn't all that hot the first two years. Then Dino Babers comes in there and that high flying Baylor, you know, Art Bryles type of offense, and he set records there. Uh, and he had a little bit of, an, of a different kind of release. You know, he's been trained by Jeff Christensen throughout his career. It's more of what I call a shoulder release. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell you, when he got to Mobile, though, his practices, he showed that he belonged. And there was some talk amongst scouts that he should be a late one. He ended up going the second round. It was obviously a wise pick by the Patriots. And then, yeah. you know, the trade that John Lynch pulled off, uh, John can make a lot of mistakes because of what he did at that quarterback. Yeah, he, he's – Jimmy's, Jimmy's good. Nice little callback option. Yeah. No, no, no yeah. question. Well, let's you, – you've seen five national championships. You've been to another one. There's so many things I could ask you about Alabama. I just – Within the last month, read your book. It was anyone that likes SEC football or fascinated by Nick Saban. It's it's fantastic, and just on the way he built the program. But just let's live in the moment for a second. They have you live down in Alabama. Is there a quarterback controversy? I, I know Tua was hurt in the spring. Is he the starting quarterback going into the season? I mean, is that you live it probably more on a daily basis than we do on the wet? Is that what's the status there of the quarterback position at the University of Alabama? Well, it's it's the story that's dominated the the scene down here, outside of the program, inside the program. I think it's business as usual. I don't think there's any chance that Tua Tonga-Valoa goes into training camp as the starter. It's Jalen Hurts' job because Tua was injured in the spring, wasn't a hundred percent. What was He's his only injury? Played really a half of. He had a broken hand. He suffered a broken hand like the first practice of the spring. So the, the quarterback derby never really got out of the gate gotcha. in the spring. But, John, I, I will tell you this. I, I think that, you know, Bama operates in a hierarchical system. I mean, you have to earn your way. And so Tua's got to get off to a fast start in, in training camp. In those scrimmages, he's got to play well. I think that they will play both quarterbacks in the first part of the schedule, first game or two, maybe even the first three or four games. But I would venture to say because of the way – because of this, these two reasons. Bama had seven new coaches out of ten. Okay, they've got new coordinators on both sides of the ball. 
they lose their entire defensive secondary. Six defensive backs have vacated the, the premises. Wow. And so their offense is going to have to carry the defense. Starting um, starting middle linebacker gone. Early in the early in the year. And so when you look at Bama's offensive skill set, the stable of running backs led by Najee Harris and Damian Harris, there's this group of receivers that are coming back. Despite the loss of Calvin Ridley, they've got exceptional talent at wideout. They've got multiple tight ends. I'm saying all this to say this. Bama needs a point guard style of quarterback, a guy that can distribute the ball and spread it around to everybody. Tua Tonga-Valoa is that guy, clearly more so than Jalen Hurts. Can Bama win with Jalen? They've won 26 games and lost two with Jalen. But they didn't get over the hump on the road at Auburn or in the national championship game against Clemson. Those are the two losses with Hurts. He can get them there. It was Tua that pushed him over the top last year in a similar situation against Georgia. So where I'm going with this is I think by the time you get to October 1st, barring injuries and setbacks, and they get into the heart of their SEC schedule, I think Tua will be in the lineup as the starter. But I don't think it'll start that way uh, when, when August practice rolls around. Uh, I agree. I, I know you got to get out of here. I got, I got one quick question. Where I'm recording this podcast about 15 miles away is where Najee Harris played high school football. And now he's the starting running back at the University of Alabama. He kind of flashed with that national championship game, right, is when he had some big runs. He looks like, I mean, he clearly is a special, special talent. I mean, are we looking at a future top 20 pick? I mean, he's been a, he's been a grown man since he was a 16-year-old out on the West Coast. I think that grown man concept uh, is interesting because he is light years ahead of his current competition in terms of guys that came from high school or college last year. It'll be interesting to see if he stays ahead of the curve you know, as other guys start to catch up and mature physically. But he is a gifted runner. He's a very classy receiver out of the backfield. And, John, you mentioned him. Last year in that second half of the national title game against Georgia, you had Tua at quarterback. You had Najee Harris in the backfield. Alex Leatherwood was a true freshman at left tackle after Jonah Williams, another California, went down with an injury. And then, of course, Devontae Smith and that group of receivers, he caught the winning a touchdown pass. They had true freshmen that played key roles in that national title game. That's why people are excited about Alabama again uh, this year as they try to defend their national championship from 2017, but really defend the decade, I would say, yeah. having won five in nine years. Well, you, you know why freshmen are ready, Phil, because at Alabama it's fourth and goal every day. <laughs> for yes, those that don't know that's phil savage's book go get it on shelves now amazon.com yeah john i appreciate you reading the book and uh man i just felt like i wanted to write it for two reasons i thought we were witnessing history and and then the two reasons i wrote it number one is a tribute to the players the coaches and nick saban himself because what they've done is nothing short of of remarkable and then secondly, because of my background with the original Browns, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, 1991, uh, Nick through 94, uh, Bill through 95, a lot of what is now known as the process was really sort of formulated during those years in Berea, Ohio. And I, I felt like it could be a bit of a Paul Harvey 
a bit of uh, telling the, the rest of the story for the fans out there so they would really understand where all of this came from. Well, you did a great job, Phil, and I, I'm not just saying this because I know you. It was If you like football, you like Nick Saban, you like the SEC, you like championship football, it's a, it, it's a great read. I, I know you got a conference call with the AAF. Good luck, Phil, and I'm excited. You've kind of sold me. I mean, I'm pretty interested in this league, and you know, I'm jealous of it. You know, the state of Alabama gets just to get ready for you know not just a national championship this year with Tua and Najee. Why couldn't they win the next couple? Yeah, there's there's no doubt they're going to be in the mix uh, for the next couple of years, especially if those guys can stay healthy. But John, I always enjoy our conversation. I'm so happy for you. I'm glad things are going well and. You know, let's stay connected throughout the fall season. Thanks a lot, Phil. Have a good day. All right, good deal. Thank you. Bye. Phil's the best. Uh, you know, done it, seen it, seen it all, done it all. I, I think it's pretty fascinating, that league. I, I'm usually, you know, the XFL. I know Vince McMahon put a lot of cash into it, and, you know, Andrew Luckstad is making a, a absolute shitload. I think they signed him like a $20 million contract to be the commissioner of the league. That's just not going to work. Uh, to me, the... The AAF, if it's a supplemental, you know, league in terms of a basically a developmental league, not that a ton of people are going to watch like they do the NFL, but I I do think it's interesting and I do think it'll be good for football to develop the players. I I definitely think it has a chance and it's 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 got a lot more substance. It feels like than previous leagues, and they're not trying to be something they're not. Okay, uh, let's get to the middle cough mailbag and uh let's bang out some questions and lead you into your uh if you're listening to this wednesday thursday whenever uh you can always go to itunes subscribe rate and in the review section this is the only place that i read the mailbag questions so if you listen to it other places i don't know tweet at me or instagram dm me your question I'll, i'll try to get to it that way but uh i read the questions for the middle cop mailbag off the itunes review section so leave questions in there Let's get to a college football mailbag question. Which historically dominant team is closer to being, quote-unquote, back, as in competing for national titles, Nebraska or Texas? Thanks, Joe in D.C. You know, if you ever go to the Wikipedia page and look at Texas like the last 30 years, they're not quite as dominant as you think. I think we often talk about them like they're SC, like they're Alabama, you know, like their Florida or, or even like their rival Oklahoma. And, and the facts are just, they're, they're not there. You know, they, they had a couple good years under Mac Brown during his tenure. But for the most part, you look at the 90s, even go back to the 80s, the difference between Oklahoma and Texas is wider than the Grand Canyon in terms of eliteness as a, as a program. So I, I think the hype on Texas is always so strong, but the actual substance behind the meat of the program it is not quite as great as you think. And so when I look at Nebraska, I would take Scott Frost over Tom Herman. Uh, I talked about, I think last week, I don't know if it was on here. or I did talk about it actually on here. I wrote about it in The Athletic. The quarterback that they signed from Fresno, Adrian Martinez, I think has a chance to be a Marcus Mariota clone, especially for Scott Frost that has a long history of making quarterbacks be awesome. Uh, so I, I would definitely go Nebraska. Just because when you simply look at it, now Nebraska's conference is tough. I mean, they, they are in a conference now with obviously Ohio State, Penn State's rolling, James Franklin's big time, Jim Harbaugh's no slouch, uh, Iowa and Kirk Ferentz are so, a very solid program. 
so it's not going to be easy by by any means. I mean, Michigan State is good. Their teams, the whole conference is legit. But I, I really think that Nebraska, Scott Frost has a chance to be special, and I think Adrian Martinez, the young quarterback, you, you never know with high school players uh, as they'll transition to college. It's a huge jump, clearly, going from playing at Clovis High School in Fresno to playing Nebraska and playing you know, playing at Nebraska, playing Ohio State, Michigan, you name it. It's it's a big difference. But I, I do think there were a lot of characteristics in that guy's game that are, are going to transition perfectly to what Scott wants out of his quarterback. Great insight from a man who knows the inner workings of NFL franchises. Yeah, that's me. Uh, would love for you to bring on Colin on the podcast and talk about the offseason headlines and the outlook of the 2018 season. It's not a bad idea. Maybe we'll have to do that. Who do you believe are the five best current coaches in the NFL, and who do you consider the five worst in order? That's a pretty good question. Okay, if you went five best coaches in the NFL, I think the first one is the easiest one of all time. I mean, it's Bill Belichick. Number two is tough. Uh, Pete Carroll had an incredible run. It feels a little dated now. John Harbaugh at one point in time a couple years ago looked like the star of the league, and now he might get fired. People think I'm biased because I work for the guy, and he's also been on this podcast. But when you look at consistency, he's never won a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin's resume in terms of Super Bowl is better. I would take Randy Andy Reid over Mike Tomlin. Uh, but I also am a Mike Tomlin defender. I, I know he takes a lot of shit. People think he's you know overrated. He's still better than 95% of the league. Pete Carroll's resume speaks for itself. This is a big year for him. I mean, if they take a step back and go under 500, the, the shine, and it almost feel like is Pete going to retire. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I think the young guys, there are some bright stars in Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, Doug Peterson, you know, just won a Super Bowl, but he's only coached two years. I mean, to me, to, to be considered a top five coach, you, you have to have a resume. It's going to be interesting to see how good John Gruden is. I mean, they just gave him $100 million. Sean Payton. He's actually a guy I forgot. I, I was texting with an OC earlier this summer, and we were just BSing about offense, and he, he thought that Sean Payton is the cream of the crop. So, yeah, Sean Payton's right up there. He obviously had a bounce-back season this year with the Saints, they're, and they're going to be good again next year. I, I think Mike Zimmer's excellent. Bottom line with, with NFL coaches when it comes to the top coaches, it, Belichick's in a world by himself. And then there's probably five or six guys that if there was an open bidding, I, one reason I think that Andy, if you had a draft from scratch, would go so high is he's so great to work with in terms of the owner, in terms of the players love him, yet he can make hard decisions. I, I think he'd be the total package, like kind of like Pete Carroll was viewed several years ago. He's just an easy person to get along with, and there is something to be said there. I, I think Mike Tomlin has that going for him too. Sean Payton does not. I mean, he's a huge ego guy, and rightfully so. He's earned and deserves that big ego. I mean, he's he's great at his job, but he's paid a premium for it. Uh, I, I think the young guys, they do not have the resume, but if Doug Peterson hammers out another you know, 13-win season, if Kyle were to make the playoffs, if Sean McVay gets the Rams to the playoffs, there are some young offensive minds around the NFL that I think have a chance to kind of break that top five. The bottom five, you know, I... I'm not going to go in any specific order, you know, 28 or I guess 27 through 32. I thought Jack Del Rio and what was the worst coach in the NFL last year? I, I thought he was terrible. Hugh Jackson has been atrocious. Now, Jack's obviously gone. Uh, Dirk Cutter is not very good. Uh, 
You go around. Todd Bowles is okay. I, I'm not writing off Adam Gase just yet. I, I think he was kind of in. He was a great offensive coordinator, but when he's the top dog, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I, I don't see it. John Elway had to sleep on it week 17. Think about this. He had a coach that he personally hired in Vance Joseph that had a lot of hype. He had to sleep on it after week 17 of the guy's first year about firing him. That's not a great look. I mean, there's a chance that Vance Joseph is just an abomination you know, of a coach. I know people think Jason Garrett is just king slap. Maybe he's not a great coach. I mean, clearly he's not, and he'll never be a top five NFL coach. But I don't think he's as terrible as the hype uh, of negativity that surrounds him on social media. So I'd probably go Hugh Jackson and, and Vance Joseph. And what's crazy is Vance wasn't a good defensive coordinator in Miami and clearly wasn't a good head coach in Denver. The one thing Hugh has going for him is Hugh is a good offensive play caller. We saw what he did in Cincinnati. He was incre- He was unreal. I mean, that offense before Andy Dalton broke his thumb, remember, was dominant. So I, I don't think Hugh's a bad coach. There's just a big difference between being a coordinator and being a coach. And I think clearly you see that you know, with Hugh Jackson. Do the Giants sign Bryce Harper? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to throw huge money at Bryce Harper. The, the amount of money that the San Francisco Giants pay Bryce Harper, or maybe the Phillies or the Yankees, or, you know, the, bottom line, the amount of money that Bryce Harper is going to get uh, this offseason is going to make NFL players very, very, very angry. John, huge fan. One question I have about the Oakland Raiders. Why do people doubt John Gruden having success in Oakland? Do you think he'll have success this upcoming season with the knowledge he's learned over the years? I think people are right to be, you know, just a little hesitant to crown him as some great coach. He hasn't coached in nine years. They're paying him historic money. I mean, they gave him $100 million. So this notion that he just came back because he loved the Raiders. No, not really. They had to give him a If he just came back for the love of the game, why wouldn't he come back for $50 million? It took $100 million to get him to say yes. 100. Uh, his last several seasons in Tampa were not great. Now, I, I don't know if that means much because this roster is stacked. He has a quarterback, a star defensive player, we think. They have to sign Khalil, and he's, I mean, I would imagine he's going to hold out if he doesn't have a new contract. They have a good offensive line. You have Amari Cooper. They have a good coaching staff. Uh, th- they have no excuse this season not to win 10-plus games. I don't think they have to win 13 and be a Super Bowl team. But they should make the playoffs. To me, it's it's playoff. Anytime you pay a coach ten plus million dollars a year, and his name is John Gruden. I mean, he's famous for a reason. He was Super Bowl coach. He's one of the biggest personalities in the league. Uh, I, I thought it was an incredible move by Mark Davis because I, like I said earlier, Jack Del Rio was the worst coach, probably beside Hugh Jackson, in the NFL last year. What was was an atrocious abomination of of coaching. So it's a massive upgrade, and the roster is good. I mean, they have the most important position settled in Derek. They have arguably the best defensive player in the league in Khalil, and they have a division that's wide open. I mean, Alex Smith is no longer the coach. Andy's breaking in a new quarterback. Their defense hasn't been good. They traded Marcus Peters. San Diego's probably the best roster on paper, but I'm not the biggest fan of their coach, and Let's call it what it is. They've been an underachieving team. They can't figure out a way to, you know, not start like one and four. And the Denver Broncos are a train wreck. 
So to me, it's it's pretty black and white. I mean, the Raiders. I don't think it's division or bust, but it's definitely wild card or bust. And if John Gruden were to make the playoffs this year, and if Derek were to if he didn't if he does not make the playoffs and Derek plays all sixteen games, uh, he's going to get destroyed and, and rightfully so. Uh, thing. Oh, I love my Falcons. Let's get to uh, Captain Savage. I love my Falcons, but it's been frustrating to see them come up short. Who do you see as the dominant NFC South team over the next five years? That's a good question. New Orleans and Carolina sure seem closing the gap against Atlanta. Division is absolutely stacked. Thanks again, Todd in uh, from Georgia. That's a great question. Matt Ryan just signed for $100 million. I- I've never been the biggest Cam guy. Andrew Brees is, what, almost 39 years old. I would still say the long-term health of, of Atlanta, they have a young, uh, explosive roster. They have young, explosive players on defense and Vic Beasley, Deion Jones, the young corner uh, from Washington, Trufant. Matt Ryan is still early, mid-30s. Julio, I, I know he wants more money, but they just drafted Calvin Ridley. Devontae Freeman's really good. Dan Quinn is an excellent coach. He, he would actually be in the conversation if he rattles off a couple more playoff years as a top-five coach. I'm, I'm a big Dan Quinn guy. But there's a lot of pressure this year on Sark. You know, I Carolina, new ownership. I, I don't love their roster. I mean, anytime Luke Keekley goes down, they are not the same team. And don't forget Thomas Davis. I, I know he's the man of the year. He got suspended for taking PEDs, which, again, I, it doesn't bother me if you take PEDs. He just had one of those classic stupid social media posts like, I didn't know what I was taking, blah, 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 BS. You knew what you did, bro. Uh, so he's out the first four games. Luke Keekley, I heard on the radio the other day, he hadn't even been cleared from a shoulder surgery that he had this offseason. Uh, their offense should be better. You know, Christian McCaffrey is ever going to live up to being a top 10 pick? Probably not. And New Orleans, they're just so dependent on the quarterback who is old but who's still damn good. I would say for the next two years, the Saints could easily win this division. But I, I, I do think the Atlanta Falcons, as long as Dan Quinn's there and they can just get a solid offensive coordinator. They don't need Kyle Shanahan-level eliteness if they just get a solid guy. And Sark was not solid last year. He was below average. They should, you know, compete to make the playoffs. And they proved last year. Now, they've all come up short, like come up short in the Super Bowl. They do, like, they went on the road last year and won a playoff game. You, you win road playoff games in the NFL, that's big time. I, I, I don't care what round it is, that's, that's impressive. And, and they were four plays, four shitty play calls from Steve Sarkeesian away from being in the NFC Championship game. I, I think they're right there. The, the NFL is a game of, it's cliche, game of inches, a play here, play there. I mean, that's literally what it came down for the Atlanta Falcons. I, I thought they thoroughly outplayed the L.A. Rams, who were damn good. On the road, now, L.A., they have a big home field advantage. But the Philly game, Atlanta was good in that Philly game, and it wasn't for Nick Foles getting hot in the second half. And, again, I mean, Sark just botched those last four plays, just an atrocious display of play calling. Okay, uh, huge Raider fan from Fresno, so love Derek. I actually answered this question on Instagram the other day, but I think this is good here for the podcast, too. I think Derek is a great team guy. I also think he's a little soft when it comes to leadership. When balls are dropped, he says the passes aren't good enough, blah, 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 uh, with Coop and Crab over the years. I think there should be a level of holding teammates accountable and push responsibility on them to become better. Do you view Derek's leadership as a weakness or a strength? I said the same thing on Instagram. Young players, young quarterbacks, and when I say young, quarterbacks under 30, 
and really most quarterbacks in the NFL, are not Peyton Manning, are not Tom Brady. They're not going to MF the wide receiver when he drops the ball. Amari Cooper, the last several years, has had countless. I mean, any Raider fan, anyone, definitely everyone in the AFC West, he has dropped so many damn balls. Balls that are hitting his hands. I'm not talking about plays where he has to become Odell Beckham and has to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I'm talking about balls that hit him in stride, that hit his hands, and he just dropped. That's on him to catch the ball. And that's where I think Gruden's going to come through and just going to coach his ass up and be on him to make those plays. I also think that it's not realistic to think your quarterback is just going to light up wide receivers after they drop the ball. It's just, it's not fair to assume that. I, I think that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have kind of spoiled us. I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers kind of passive-aggressively does it. Drew Brees does not do it. You know, it's not, look at all the young, does Russell Wilson do it? It's, to me, Amari Cooper specifically, it's on him. Crabtree, it's not really a problem anymore. He's gone. They now have Jordy Nelson that's probably a little more sure-handed than Michael Crabtree, though I don't know if he's as good. So, I think Derek Derek's leadership from coaches I've known on the staff the last several years and talking to guys now on the staff this year, they feel 100% that's a strength, and it's clearly a John Gruden strength. That's very important when your coach, I was around Andy Reid, he holds the offense, and just players in general. You saw it last year with Mike Marcus Peters. Your coach needs to hold them to the highest standard. Now, in theory, that you always say the players need to hold themselves. Yeah, we're all humans. That's there's a reason the coaches make millions of dollars. That's their job to hold guys to a super high standard. Jack Del Rio ran a country club. John Gruden is not going to run a country club, especially when it comes to his offense. I, I would look for Amari Cooper to be under the microscope. Uh, they're they're going to light a fire under his ass, and I would expect him to catch more footballs and drop less balls because of the coaching staff more than Derek yelling at him or, or not yelling at him. Thanks for listening. Uh, just an, just another edition, banging one out here in the offseason. I'm here for you. Middlecoff Mailbag, I always appreciate the questions. Go to iTunes, leave a review, and I will get back, and I'll answer it here on the, on the podcast. Again, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, as always, leave these questions. This Phil Savage was great. Fa- fascinating insight to this new league. I'm actually kind of excited to watch it here in a couple years and uh, efforting another kind of cool guest going a little outside the box next week. Appreciate everyone listening and I will see you next week. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. 
Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fire the grill and fire up the party. Get the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. Go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full grate sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Food will look as good as it tastes. This grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You can also add a heavy duty rotisserie or rust resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill.